it's, um, we, we spent uh, a good amount of time over the last uh, couple of months uh, looking at uh, things that were misuses of the scripture, uh, things that were taking things out of context or misquoting the Bible, um, and it just kept coming over in my mind that while we, we talked about those things, uh, I thought it, it might be at the earliest opportunity I might want to go ahead and talk about some, some guidelines or some rules that we might follow uh, that, are, um, that, are, that will support the idea of, of properly understanding uh, the, the Bible as we read it. Before I go any further with that, just to, uh, as an aside, I recently was diagnosed with having diabetes. And that is, um, uh, it was something that it took me a little while to take it as seriously as it needed to be because it just seemed like something a little bit abstract. Uh, but I needed to go through and understand what was, what kind of food I could actually eat. Uh, what kind of food was bad food. Uh, understanding uh, that some carbs are worse than others. And you're looking at a box and you see that there's uh, some of the carbs, it says this, this had a lot of carbs, but then you look at it and say, well, some of these carbs are not bad carbs. Some of these are, and so we went through it, and I had to go through and understand uh, a lot of those things to, to understand what it was that I, um, that, that I should do and what it was that I should not do. I, um, I spent some time going out and then searching on the internet, and, um, and, and you know, everything on the internet's true. So um, I, it quickly I needed to I, I look to see who it was that I was reading. Was it uh, somebody who had something to sell, uh, or was it somebody that actually um, was, um, was credible, uh, like the Mayo Clinic, or people who had done s uh, substantive research, those sorts of things. Uh, and so it was important for me then, as I, as I began to do my research, I began to look at, at different aspects of, um, of learning what I needed to do. Uh, it, it, um, it was clear that I needed to, to look at that information pretty carefully. The, uh, to disregard um, the reality of what my condition is, uh, would be, it has some fairly uh, severe consequences. Uh, it can cost me uh, extremities, it can cost me my eyesight, it can cost me all kinds of things if I don't take care of that. So the consequences of ignoring it or, or making it my own version of what that might be uh, is, is something that while I might want to uh, just pretend that, I, that my way is a better way, uh, it's, it's fairly significant. The reason I bring that up is to me that's a parallel to a lot of what we're, we're going to talk about this morning is the idea of, of understanding uh, as we saw about understanding the Bible, uh, the first thing that I, I want to talk about is that the, 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 um, the Bible is, a, is the complete revelation of God. There is no revision. There's no new version. We are used to having uh, updates that are, that are, oh, by the way, your iPhone says there's a red dot. You're supposed to click it and update. Uh, the fact that we have revisions and we have updates and we have changes is, is a big part of our life today. But for us to recognize that the Bible, there is no, there are no new versions that are that are coming out. This is the this is the complete Bible, and it's something that we need to treat accordingly. Um, when um, in, in looking at this, uh, we look at uh, at Hebrews, and it says that um, in the past God spoke to, to uh, through our forefathers, through the prophets, at many times in diverse ways, or, or various ways. Uh, and these last days he spoke to, to us by his son, whom he appointed of all, of, of all, heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Pope claims that, that um, the various popes claim that at certain points in time, they, they have a direct line to God and God talks to them and reveals things to them. 
that explains things to them that there may be a revision of things that, that um, may have been a change. Um, Joseph Smith, uh, the, fa the founder or originator of the Mormon church, uh, professes that he had a revelation that was specific to, to him and that finished and fixed some of the problems that were there within the, within the Old Testament, within the New Testament, that they just needed to have more information uh, to be revealed. Um, the, uh, the Christian scientists believe also that they have a special revelation, uh, and, and each one of them believes that theirs is the, the right way and all others are excluded. You can see the problem when we see that the, the Bible telling us that, that Christ is the one by whom all things are revealed, and yet we have three other examples of special rev revelations. Uh, and, and in addition, we're not even going to address the fact that some people believe that they get a, they get a special revelation at any point in time that God will tell them something or God will reveal something to them or lay it on their hearts or whatever it might be. Those are special revelations. There is no special revelation. Um, when we look at Jude, Jude tells us that the faith, the, the, the word, was once and for all entrusted to the saints. Uh, it, this, it was complete. It was done and there was nothing else required. In 2 Timothy 2, um, we are to prove our, present ourselves to God as, um, as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Someone that's going to be approved by God is someone that with respect and with uh, the proper approach understands how to properly uh, deal with the word, of, the word of truth or the word of God. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy, the third chapter, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God be thoroughly equipped for every good works. It doesn't say until something better comes along. It says this is... This is everything that you need to know uh, to, be, to be fully equipped to be a mature Christian. The problem that we have here is if God's revelation is an ongoing uh, thing, then everything we just read is wrong. Everything we just said is incorrect. Everything we, all those passages no longer are actually not accurate. So when something is complete, that means it's finished, uh, and there's no need to add anything to it. Uh, if the, the law of God is perfect, then anything else that's done to it makes makes it less perfect. It makes it something that um, nothing else is needed and any other revelation would actually, actually end up uh, diminishing uh, that revelation. So does God speak to man today at, at, at any, at just at any time like he used to? Uh, but God says through Paul and gives this warning that even if, if we, the apostles, or angels from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, and I'll say it again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned. That's not equivocating. This is something that's very specific. It says if it's anything different at all, then that person who is uh, who's preaching this new gospel is, uh, is, is condemned. And, uh, and then in John, the 12th chapter, there is a judge for uh, the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him in the, in the last day. These are not suggestions. These are not soft terms. These are things that are very specific to say, this is my word, you'll accept it, uh, or you'll be condemned. So which revelation will, be, will, we, will we be judged by? Is it going to be the words of Joseph Smith, that revelation? 
Is it going to be that of Mary Eddy, who was the Christian scientist who, who supposedly received a new revelation? Is it the word of the various popes who constantly change and, and revise um, the, um, the, the, uh, the truth as it's supposed to be? In reality, none of those are going to, to be judged. The judge that we'll, we will be judged by the revelation that God gave. And as we read just previously, uh, that will be... Uh, that will be the only manner in which that we're, that we're judged. One other thing, let me back up here. Uh, there are cer certain things that get in the way of us understanding uh, what, um, uh, what, when we read the Bible. First of all, we, if we need to understand it um, before we can actually try to figure out what it means. Excuse me, we have to read it for what it is to make sure we understand what it really means. The disciples accept and believe what God says. It's imperative that we fall into this category. Uh, the, the pattern of our lives uh, is, to, is to match or obey God's will. Uh, not interested in changing God's will. We're not, that's not our purpose. But specifically, we want, uh, we want to do what God says rather than what we want to do or what we like to do. And knowing what God says is critical to our faith. Uh, if we, f we fail to understand the Bible and, as we read it, if we start to read the Bible with, with a predetermined idea, and we therefore are reading it with our predetermined idea, which, which creates a new slant or gives us uh, an, an improper understanding. Uh, if we read with doctrine in mind or traditions in mind, those are things that if we sit down to read, we don't read accurately, we don't read to, and we don't understand uh, correctly. So one of the, the, the next things we need to understand is that we need to look at the, at, the, at the context, excuse me, at the text and see exactly what does it say. It's easy for us to read through and find things, uh, and we, we, we want to put our own twist on it, or we, uh, we look at it in a different way than what is accurate. Uh, we can't understand what the, uh, what the Bible is telling us if we don't first read it and accurately hear, understand what it is. Uh, we can't, you shouldn't jump to conclusions before we actually read it and understand it. We shouldn't have opinions about what it is or have our, have our idea of how to make an application if we haven't yet read and clearly understand what does the Bible tell us. Uh, it means what, it's, what it says, and uh, if we have an understanding that is different than what is, than what is read, then we are wrong. We do not understand it. So if we're going to properly understand God's word, it's imperative then that we, uh, that we read it for what it actually is and we understand it for what it actually says. Revelation tells us that um, anyone who adds anything uh, to, to the Bible, to his words, uh, all of the plagues in the Bible will be added to him. Anyone that takes away will, will, will take away their share of the reward uh, in the holy city and it's described in this book. Again, reinforcing that changing or trying to do something different with the, with the word of God uh, brings not only a matter of just misunderstanding, but brings condemnation. Very critical for us to understand, uh, understand that for what it is. Jesus said, uh, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Uh, and the second command is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those who don't pay attention to God's word uh, worship in vain, and they teach uh, they teach doctrines that are precepts of men. The most fundamental aspects, uh, the fun fundamental principles Jesus enumerates, and we need to understand that when Jesus lays out the principles of, the, of, the, um, of his, his revelation, that we should understand it for what it actually is, or we will find ourselves as we worship, uh, that we will, um, 
that we are, are no longer following um, what the Bible has to say. It's also important to understand what the Bible does not say. We've spent some time talking about this uh, over the last number of weeks of things that the Bible is quoted of having been said or uh, has been twisted. And so we'll go through this fairly quickly with just examples. Uh, God helps those who helps themselves. Well, that may be kind of sort of true, but that's not what the Bible says. Uh, for while we were still helpless the right, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in Proverbs, he who trusts his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. So this idea of this quote is not in the Bible. It sounds like it should be, or maybe something that you, we might believe, but uh, it's not something that's in the Bible. So the Bible doesn't say that, and we shouldn't assume that that's, that that's true. Uh, God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. That's great, but it came from a, a hymn uh, that was uh, a while, quite a while back. Uh, and Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed be, uh, be, be belong to us and our children forever that we, may be, that we may follow the words of his law. We spent a lot of time talking about this, and so we won't belabor, uh, we won't belabor the, the point here, but we've, we've seen examples of why we, uh, we need to pay very close attention to what the Bible says and not to attribute to the Bible things that simply don't belong there. So if we're going to understand what the Bible does not say, when, someone, when, we, when we are not familiar with the passage, it's important for us to say, well, where is it? Let me make sure I understand. Uh, if I'm going to understand what it says, I also want to understand what it does not say. And, um, and it could be that it's pretty close. But if it's pretty close to what the Bible says, then that's altering what the Bible says. And consequently, uh, we are then looking at something that's not God's word. Uh, we can't just assume that it says something. We need to go back to our roots, and that is for us to be able to open the book and read what God says to us and be careful that we don't assume that other things are, are there that aren't. It does, we, we need to understand that we don't, um, that we don't need to read, in, read things into uh, expressions that may be literary quotes or old proverbs or, or old uh, wise uh, wisdom or old world wisdom. We need to understand what the Bible actually says. And we need to make sure that we understand that we read the Bible for what it says and, and make sure that we're aware of those things which, uh, which the Bible is, is silent um, about. So what does it say again? Uh, this is a simple way of saying that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. If we want to understand what the Bible says, there may be certain things that we need to to read and we need to understand what else the Bible says on a given, uh, a given area. We need to gather all the information there is on a topic or an, or an event and we need to, um, to make sure that we don't have just a partial understanding um, of what the Bible says. A partial understanding may be an er erroneous one. It may be that we're only understanding a certain part of what's there and consequently uh, we have a misunderstanding of what the scripture says. Uh, by, by going through and looking at the, the additional information uh, that we see, we may be able to understand that, that this partial understanding uh, is something that, that will, um, it, it can be fleshed out, and therefore we're not going to, to have a, uh, a misunderstanding of what the Bible truly has to say about it. We look at this, this familiar context where, the, where Satan is, is trying or testing Jesus, and he says, uh, if you're the son of God, uh, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
So then Satan then says, okay, well, let me quote scripture to you. He says, if you're the son of God, then uh, it is written, he who commands the angels concerning you, uh, they will lift you up in, in their hands, and so it will be that they will not strike the foot against the stone. This is telling him to climb up on top of the, of the tallest um, part of the temple and throw himself down. And Jesus said, it is written, do not put your Lord God to, to the test. He's taking a scripture and taking it out of context and trying to, trying to argue scripture uh, incorrectly. Nonetheless, he is doing it specifically to try and to trap or try and to fool Jesus. And finally, he says, I'll give all of this to you if you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Looking at, at the aspects of scripture and understanding that there are other aspects that, that need to be taken into consideration, a verse in and of itself may not stand alone. For us to, to truly understand what is being told, we may need to spend more time looking at what the Bible has to say, looking at what the Bible has to say about that specifically, uh, so that we can have a, an accurate and, uh, and complete understanding of, of, the, uh, of the word. It's also very important as we begin to look at different passages, we, we may find ourselves thinking, well, this, this appears to be different than, than what this passage says. The first thing we need to understand is if, there's, if it appears to be different, the, we need to re recognize and remember that the Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible is accurate. And so one of the tests of the prophets, uh, to, to whether they were true or not, is when they predicted something uh, and said this is something that's going to happen, did it come, did it come uh, to pass? And one of the other tests was, was it in contradiction uh, to God's word? Is it something that's new? If it's something that's different than what God's will would be, then that's not a true prophet. Um, there may be a contradiction, at least the appearance of a contradiction, and yet we, what we may need to do is get a better understanding of, of the passage that we're looking at uh, and, and do that by looking at other passages uh, to make sure we understand what each of them say so that we recognize this is not a contradiction. My conclusion, until I do that, may be wrong. So let's look at this. This is a very common thing, that one that I had argued with um, for years with uh, friends growing up about uh, faith only versus uh, not faith only. And uh, so we look at this passage and it says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not, uh, not by works only of the law, but of the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So this is a passage where we go through and people say, we're not justified by works, we're justified by faith. Which that's, that's uh, on the surface, that sounds like a pretty strong argument for the other position. Uh, and yet we see here that, uh, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Well, this seems to be a direct contradiction. It, 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 on the surface, it is a direct contradiction if you take it at face value. Uh, we look again at, um, uh, they, because they did not seek it by faith, but as, but as it were, by the works of the law. Again, this contrast between is it really about works or is it about faith? And this idea, of, again, of whether it's, whether it's by faith or by works, are you saved? Um, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It is the gift of God and not works lest anyone should boast. This is something else that seems like, well, it seems to me that now there's something else that's thrown in here. How do we, how do we deal with this? And then the last is, is not of our examples, is not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, mercy, he has saved us. So let's take just a second and understand how looking at these the various uh, scriptures here that may seem to be 
to be contrary to each other or at, at odds with each other uh, actually are cohesive with each other. If we look at the first, we need to recognize, first of all, let's read it for what it actually says. What it actually says is, is knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. We have believed in Christ Jesus. We may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. For works of the law will no flesh be justified. This is saying that this is a contrast between works of following, following and doing the things of the old law as opposed to Christ. This has nothing to do with what the argument is being made, is being pulled out. And it, first of all, that passage is not being described correctly. But then we look at the, at the, the, the supposed contradictory passage that says that uh, you'll see that, that this man is justified by works and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is the, this is the demand for a living and working faith. This is not a... This is not a, uh, a passive thing. This is a demand for, uh, for, for our, when Paul says, you show me your, your, uh, your faith without your works, I'll show you my faith with my works. The fact of the matter is, this is something that our, our faith has a characteristic to it that says it must be working, it must be active, it, it is, is our faith. Again, it's not a passive, uh, a passive thing. Uh, in Romans, we, we see that we didn't, they did not seek by faith, but by the works of the law. They were wrong because they even while they might try to, to find those things which are in Christ, they, they tried to, to accomplish their salvation by doing the works of the law and not by faith in Christ Jesus. Uh, but, so by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. Well, we've, we, we hear that it says by faith, or then by works, not by faith only. Now it's saying it's by grace, not by works. Uh, this is talking about that God gives us the grace, uh, grace uh, of salvation through his grace. We can't earn this. This is not something that we're going to do and we're going to stand on our own. Uh, no matter what we might do, uh, we will have to depend on God's grace. So this is not contradictory. This is these are additional bits of information that helps us to better understand the fuller picture. Similarly, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. Despite our very best efforts, uh, we will not be able to stand on our own two feet. We still will need the mercy of Christ. So these five passages, which may seem to be in contradiction or not in, in, in alignment with each other, are completely in alignment with each other. And by looking at multiple verses, we don't spend our time chasing our tail over is this a contradiction and which contradiction do I want to pick to go with this. This is saying this is what the Bible says about faith and works and grace and mercy. And we get an understanding that we would not have had if we want to argue a specific verse. Hopefully that's, I'm doing this very quickly, but I'm trying to get the concept across rather than spend a great deal of time. We can do that at another time. Hopefully that makes sense. So we read all the verses on the topic before we reach a conclusion. If we reach a conclusion, as we showed a minute ago, by picking one verse or the other, normally we pick the verse that supports what we, what we like or what we believe. Um, we, instead, we, we search the scripture to understand all of what's being said before we reach an understanding. The Bible does not contradict itself. We have to remember that. A partial understanding is a misunderstanding. Another part of, of this that's very important is who said it. That's important for us to recognize as we're reading and working our way through uh, scripture and trying to understand what is, um, what is presented to us to read. Who said it? 
The Bible is the inspired word of God, infallible without contradiction. Now, do you believe that, the, that everything in the Bible is true? It's not. Not everything in the Bible is true. Not everything uh, that is said is not true. The Bible is, an inspired, is the inspired word of God, and with that, it faithfully reports events that take place, a story about what's, what's happening in, in, this, um, uh, in a, a given situation. And, and as such, people are quoted accurately in that situation, and those people in that situation may say something that is not true. But in the, in the context of, of, a, of a story, you'll see that someone may say something that's not true, and yet it's in the Bible. We need to understand who said it before we recognize uh, that we need to give any credibility or whatever, to what level of credibility we need to give what's being said. Very important to understand how we make an application if we understand you know, who said it. Tree of knowledge of good and evil is a very uh, common story that we all recognize. We have God who says, uh, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that day you'll surely die. We see the devil saying, you will surely not die, for God knows that you'll end up with your eyes being opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. Satan was not inspired. If we take just that verse alone uh, and ignore the, the other verse, which now is an apparent contradiction, Satan was not inspired and did not speak for God when he said, you will surely not die. He goes on uh, in John to, 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 to compare those uh, who, were, who were hypocrites and saying, You're, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's, meaning the devil's, desire. He was a murderer from the, from the beginning, not holding the truth, for there is no truth in him. For he lies, when he lies, he speaks his natural language, or his native language, for it is a liar, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's, it's clear in the text that, that uh, you will surely not die. It's in the Bible, but that doesn't make it true, does it? We know that God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. Have we ever tried to understand how to, how to talk to people about this? Is this something we may have, have, um, have actually believed in some way or another and didn't really know how to explain our, our way around this? Well, first of all, God didn't say it. John didn't say it. But who did say it is the blind man that just had been healed. So the blind man who just had been healed was then called in to, to um, being questioned and grilled by the, the uh, Pharisees, saying, who did this? And they were trying to figure out how to say that, that Jesus was, was wrong for doing what he was doing. And he was saying, we all know that God doesn't listen to sinners' prayers. Well, who said that? It, it may or may not be true, but as we look at this, this, this is the word that says of a, of a man's opinion who had been sitting outside and begging for all of his life being blind. And he is, is challenging those who were, who were challenging him. And, and he's stating what may have been a regularly understood thing at the time. But understand that this is not something that we read that's a doctrinal position that God takes. God has not told us this. All we hear is that the blind man made this assessment. And it may not be true. Not everything that's said in the Bible is a true statement. Not everything that's said is not true. Uh, the Bible is inspired word of God. It faithfully reports the events of, uh, that it reports, uh, faithfully reports the words of uninspired men. Just because it's said in the Bible does not mean it's true. 
We always have to look to see who's talking. It's very important for us, but we'll get caught into a trap thinking that, especially if we're pulling a verse out at a time, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll uh, find ourselves in real difficult times trying to understand. To whom was it said? This is also very important. There are very specific things said that, that if we understand who the audience is to this, it changes what our perception might be. Go make yourself an ark. Is that, who's, he, who's he talking to? Is that he talking to us? We're supposed to all go out and make an ark? No, he's talking to Noah. And this is right, right before the great flood. Go sacrifice your son as a burnt offering. At times that's been tempting, but that's not something that, um, that's not something that was, we were told to do. That was something he told to Abraham. And he said that specifically to Abraham, and this is not a general thing that everyone was supposed to go out and do. He specifically told Abraham to do this, and it was a test of faith. Don't worry about what you'll, what you'll have to say. Um, God will tell you what it is. Well, this is specifically to the apostles, and when they were going to be arrested, he said, don't worry. God's going to speak through you and tell you exactly what to say. Saying that that's something that the apostles were being told was not a general thing that any Christian or anyone who reads the Bible should expect that God's just going to give us, don't worry about what to say, God's going to tell you what to say. If we apply that broadly, then we may expect to say, well, uh, anything, it's just going to come to me, and whatever comes out of my mouth is what God, God intended for me to say. We get into a really bad position when we, get, we start uh, trying to, to, um, to attribute something that does have, doesn't have anything to do with us uh, to, to ourselves. Who was the book of, of, of Ephesians written to? The Christians at Ephesus. Same thing with Romans. The book of Romans was written to Rome. The Christians at Rome, the Christians at Philippi, the Christians at Galatia, uh, Timothy and Titus. That's who the books were written to. So answer this. Which letter was written to the church here in Denton? We're reading other people's mail. We're reading mail that was sent to other congregations, other Christians, and it was intended for them to share those letters with each other so that they might be able to read and understand a, a revelation that's been, that's been given to them. But they, some of the things did or didn't apply to all of those congregations that were reading this. So there's, there was a, a test. As we read somebody else's mail, that's what the Christians did in the first century also. These letters were to specific classes of people, groups of people, um, and if you stand in the same spot as those people, then you should pay attention to the instructions, even though they were not directly given to us. If we find ourselves to say, I'm in the same spot that they're in, then I should pay attention to that instruction or that admonition. The jailer called and said, the Philippian jailer called and said, what do I have to do to be saved? In Romans, for when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, if we find ourselves in the same situation, if, if we need to know what we need to do to be, to be saved, then we should look and see what we're in the same spot as the jailer. We're in the same spot as others who have been, who've been given instructions on what they need to do to be saved. If we're in need of salvation, then, we're, then we can put on those shoes and say, I should listen to this instruction. This is a general instruction to people who are in that condition. It applies to us. 
reading things in context. We talked about this a little bit, uh, I think, last week. And um, putting things together out of order, putting things together without uh, what happened before or after is, a way, is, is, is described as being uh, taking things out of context. A sentence without a respect to what was said before or afterwards, that, and that's the context. No one likes to be misquoted. Nobody wants to, nobody has to, wants to have to defend themselves by saying, that's not what I was saying. So if we start putting things together in, in just any manner we want to, then we can end up with crazy things. He threw, and he threw down the, the, the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Go and do you therefore likewise. Well, take things out of context, and you can, make, you can put together anything in the world you want to. It can say, the Bible can say anything in the world you want to if you want to throw certain realistic ideas out the door. The fact is, the Bible does not tell us to commit suicide, uh, but, everything that comes, but everything came from the Bible. It's, it's, that's, it's, that's not what the Bible, isn't that not what the Bible says? Yes, but that's not what the writer was saying. Uh, it's an abuse of what the writer had, had said. Jesus criticized the Sadducees for this, this, um, this trap that they had about a scenario that says, here's a, here's a woman who, who, uh, whose husband died and she didn't have an heir. So she married his brother, and he died without giving her an, an heir. And this happened seven times, which this was a Jewish um, habit. This was the Jewish instructions. So they, the Sadducees, who we can always remember that they're the ones who don't believe in the resurrection because it's sad, you see, um, but the Pharisees, it's all going to be okay because it's fair, you see. So that's the way I can always keep that straight. Well, the, the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. So the resurrection, uh, they're, try, they're trying to say, well, this is going to prove that uh, there is no resurrection. Whose husband is her husband? And Jesus said, you're mistaken and, not, and you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God for in a resurrection, they'll neither be marry, uh, they'll neither be marry or marriage, but all will be like angels in heaven. You don't understand what you're talking about. You're trying to, to take an idea and you're trying to take a, a premise of the law and you're trying to prove, to pull out a context and try to prove a point that you happen to believe in, which is that there's no resurrection. When we start looking at, have you ever talked with somebody that you needed a dictionary to look up to see what they're talking about? And you have to go through or read a book, and you're saying, well, hang on a second. And you go over and you open up a dictionary to say, what did that say? And you read another couple of sentences, and you have to open it up again, because I don't know what those, those words mean. If you don't understand what the words mean, then you can't understand what it's saying. So we may, we need, it's important that we define the words if we're going to understand the Bible. We need to understand not the way we define the words if we look it up in the Webster's Dictionary, because Webster Dictionary is not dealing with, with the Greek language or the Hebrew language. It's important to know what words mean if you don't have that common definition that if the speaker and the hearer don't share the same, uh, same understanding or definition, they're not communicating. They may be miscommunicating, but they're not communicating. The, the, the message that's sent is not the message that's received. How, how can you expect to have a true understanding of the Bible if you don't understand the meaning of the words? The word faith as it's translated, has five different definitions, five different definitions and words underneath that word. It's important for us to look at it and understand what are we talking about when we see faith? Is it just the, the idea of trust? You need to have faith in God. 
Uh, is it the fact that God's, God is trustworthy? God is faithful? Um, it is, uh, is it, this is the faith uh, that, we, that, we, that we talk about, that Christ talks about, that Paul talks about as, as being defender of the faith? Or being, this is the, that you must obey and, and be consistent with the faith. Uh, something is, is, is assured, therefore we have a reason to believe in it and to trust in it. Uh, the, a pledge or to be faithful is, all of those are different words underneath it all. And if we don't understand the differences between those words as we read, we'll come up with a different understanding than what was, what was, um, than what was intended. Same thing applies when we look at the word love. In, in the Bible, there are four different, excuse me, in, in the New Testament, there are three different languages. There are four in the Greek language, four different words that are translated love. There's a Christian love, which means we value each other. That's agape. There is the brotherly love, phileo, like the, brother, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. There's the family um, relationship in that love, which is storge. And then the other word in the Greek language, which is not used, is eros. And that's the erotic love between man and woman. If we don't understand the meaning of those words, then we're in that, in that text, we will not understand what the text is saying. We'll have a misunderstanding, uh, three out of four chance. So the, understanding the definitions of a particular passage is critical if we are going to understand it accurately. When we look at the Bible and use the usage of the word, uh, it's critical to correctly understand what it is, or we're going to end up with a, with a wrong conclusion. Figurative language is one that, that ends up with a whole bunch of challenges with it, and we're not going to solve all those today. But let's look and recognize that figurative language is, is something, need, understanding when something is literal and when something is figurative is a very important thing for us to, to get our arms around. Um, it means what it says in the Bible unless it just can't mean what it, what it says. If it's something that, that it's, uh, this is, a tree is not a tree. Well, if a tree is not a tree, then, then there's some other meaning to it. Um, language used in a way that, that it's used in a way that communicates an idea, uh, that's something that illustrates an idea and is using something that uh, in and of itself at face value would not make much sense. It, that doesn't mean that everything is figurative. It doesn't mean that everything is literal. We have to go through and look at it. And, it, and it's these figures of speech that we're talking about. We're very com very common to us. We understand them very easily. Oh, you're pulling my leg. Oh, man, that's a pain in my neck. Uh, those are figures of speech which in and of themselves are not literal. When Christ says, take and eat, this is my body, he doesn't mean this is actually his body. And yet there are some people who believe that in transubstantiation, which is what the Catholics call it, that at some point in time that bread actually becomes the body of Christ. And the blood, the, the grape juice or the wine actually becomes his blood. And as such, uh, in many cases, one of the practices in the, the Catholic Church is if someone were to spill the, 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 the wine, on the, then that means they had the blood of Christ on the floor. And so they ended up where the, the priest then began to just take of the wine because they didn't want to have that, that, that going on. So Jesus uh, did not intend for this to be taken literally. It's not, it's not actually his body, but he, he represents something. It's a figure of speech. When he talks to the rich young ruler, and he looks at this rich young ruler that, that walks away because he just can't, he just can't take the, uh, the answer that Jesus gives him as to what it takes for him to be, uh, to be right. 
and he turns away and then his, his observation is it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now this is, um, and, and he goes on by the way, this immediately says that, that, that what's impossible with men is not possible for God. This means one of two things. It either means it's completely impossible because you have a, you have a, a camel that's going to go through a tiny little eye of a needle or one of the myths around this or one of the explanations that uh, is told but not substantiated is that there was a gate that was called the eye of the needle and that the, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle it was so small that the camel would have to get down on its knees and in effect crawl through. Uh, either way, it's, it's a figure of speech. Um, it's something that illustrates a point. Uh, it's, not, it's not to be taken literally. It's, it's just simply to, to, to make a point. Just like we have, we'll find instances of a simile where, where something says, this is like this. Or something that describes in terms of some other thing. Uh, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro uh, th throughout the whole earth. That's an anthropomorphism, which is giving God the attributes of, of man. And I don't, don't ask me to pronounce it again. <clears throat> there are words of association. The Jews are, talk, are called the circumcision. That's an, that's an association uh, that says that they are, because the, the, the law required circumcision, they were called the circumcision. It's a, it's a word of association. There's things that are personification, giving inanimate objects, uh, objects uh, the ability to do things that they couldn't do. So in, um, uh, in Psalms, he talks about the mountains skipped like rams. Uh, not literal, it's a figure of speech. Uh, hyperbole, which is an exaggeration. If your right eye causes you to, to sin, gouge it out. That's not a command. That's not literally what the requirement is. It's an exaggeration to make a point. Irony. You've, so you become kings. How I wish that had been that you really had become a king, so that we might be kings with you. He's not saying that they actually are kings. He's using irony to make the point that they're out of place. Instead of Jesus saying, I'm waiting for you to respond when you talk to Laodicea, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice open and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. It's something that's used to motivate people to action or to understand and illustrate a point. You get the idea. There are many different figures of speech that we see, and those figures of speech are important for us to recognize them for what they are and not to be taken literally. So looking at these nine, um, let's call, let's, I won't call them rules, nine uh, structures or ways that we, we go about reading the Bible and understanding it for what it's truly, it truly means uh, are things that they're simple, um, they are very easy to remember, uh, and they're, they're things that give us guidelines so we find ourselves in a situation we begin to scratch our head and say, now wait a minute, who said that? We go back and look again really carefully to see what is it that, um, that, was, that, that was being said and by whom? Who, do, who, was, who was he talking to when we read this, this passage? These are things that are really important to us if we're going to accurately understand. And as godly people, we are, uh, we are committed to understand and to the, the Bible, committed to understanding it accurately so we can actually live in such a way that's consistent with God's will. For us to do anything casually or anything that's not very serious um, would, be, um, would be risking our soul, as, we, as we've uh, seen throughout this. 
It's important for us to, to, to understand and to, and to keep in mind uh, how seriously God takes um, our reaction to his word and the respect that we give it. When the Israelites came back from captivity and they, and they were for the first time, they opened the scripture to be read, they all stood. They all stood out of respect. They all stood recognizing these were the words of God. And they stood because, and, and some wept because it had, been, it had been 70 years and no one had heard the, the words uh, read. And so if we had the same level of respect of recognizing this, this is God's word, it must be handled carefully and with a great deal of respect and a great deal of, um, of humility, we will end up in the right place recognizing certain guidelines that we might be able to use to, to guide our lives by understanding the word. If there's anything we might be able to do to, to offer some help, um, please let us know as we sing this song. <laughs>